0: recording welcome to worldwide bible class i'm pastor brian wolfmuller let's pray blessed lord you have caused all scriptures to be written for our learning grant that we may in such wise hear them read mark learn and inwardly digest them that by the patience and comfort of your holy word we might embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of eternal life which you've given us in our savior jesus christ who lives and reigns with you in the holy spirit one god now and forever amen we are studying the life of jacob together with martin luther let's get after it here we are at the portion we are at genesis 31 45 and that's the place where uh that's the place where uh jacob has fled from laban and he's come all the way down to gilead and uh and now he's uh uh he's he, he's about to cross over the jordan we're going to get to that pretty soon it just you know depending on our speed here we're not in a huge hurry but this is um uh where laban tracks him down and god gives laban the vision at the night that says hey don't uh, uh don't um uh don't don't touch jacob don't mess with him you he's my servant etc so laban comes and instead of arresting him or robbing him or whatever he does come and accuse him and finally Jacob stands up and says what are you you're gonna accuse me that you're crazy it's incredible so Jacob finally stands up for himself Laban whoa taken aback now says well let's make a covenant here so that we don't interfere with each other Jacob says fine so we're in verse 45 Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar that's that, that's where we are. And Jacob said to his brethren, "Gather stones." And they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there on the heap. And ja- and Laban called it Yeager Sarathu, uh, Sarathua, but Jacob called it Galid. And Laban says, "This is a heap, is a witness between you and me this day." So they they go up there. Uh, this is on the again on the other side. It's probably it's in Gilead, so it's it's east, maybe northeast. Of the Sea of Galilee, and they're making this covenant there. So let's get into it. Uh, Jacob is ready to make a treaty for the sole reason that thereby he may be conveniently and qu- quickly separated from this worthless hypocrite. So we see that that Laban is like, f- f- I mean, Jacob is saying, fine. What, you know, whatever you fine, whatever you want, let's just get this thing done. Because I'm re- 20 years I've been a slave, 20 years I've been your servant, I've been abused by you, et cetera, et cetera. Let's just get it done. Uh, association with hypocrites is most irksome to the godly. So that here we see that, again, Jacob's motivation is just to clear out of here. It's more tolerable for anybody to deal with an open enemy than with a hypocrite who pretends friendship and goodwill and inwardly nourishes hatred and ill will. So what Laban says and what he does is they're completely out of sync. It's an it's an amazing thing to think about. That he that and and again, and especially for those of you I see in the chat that there's a number joining us for the first time to, to realize how different Luther's reading of this text is than almost every other reading of the text. Because because you now our modern what interpretation, general interpretation, is that Jacob is getting what he deserves. He's a crook and a thief and he's getting crooked and thieved and so it's what goes around comes around well Luther understands Jacob as a godly man who had the promise the younger well the older will serve the younger everyone was fighting against that promise including Esau the older except for his mom the only one and so he's 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 dragged around the world and and persecuted and afflicted precisely because of the promise including being going into exile when he's 80 years old uh the mistreatment of Laban for 7 years of slavery for his wife and then the switcheroo and then the seven more years of slavery and then another 6 years of slavery and in that time Laban changing the contract over and over again so that the that, that Jacob here is becoming the the type of a uh, of a Christian who is afflicted and Laban is the type of a hypocrite who who pretends like he's flattering and supporting you, et cetera, et cetera, but is really only out for his own belly, only serving his own ends. Nothing's more grievous and troublesome than to associate, live, and eat with a man who at the same time is intent on all opportunities to criticize and harm you and who cannot be convicted of violence or fraud because it's all done with a it's all done with a smile. It's all done cover-up. It's all done hypocritically. But this hypocrisy and secret intrigue must be born to be sure. He swears by everything holy that he is one's greatest friend and completely devote, devoted to true godliness. So here's the, the the hypocritical promise. If you were to charge him, and I'll tell you, it is not clear if Luther here is talking about Jacob and Laban or I think he, I mean, this is the point. He's talking about Jacob and Laban, but he's talking in abstractions, remembering that he's giving these as lectures to his students. If you were to charge him, if you, my student who will be a pastor, to charge him, the one who's treating you hypocritically, with lying in reproach for his evasive and crafty heart, he would still remain unconquered by dissimulating and making a complete denial. What, I didn't do anything wrong? That That is the this problem of... Remember how, in his explanation of the Ten Commandments, Luther says, especially with the, with the, um, especially with the tenth commandment, Luther talks about how getting a thing on, as a show of doing right, a show you're putting on a show, so that you you're you're stealing, but you're doing it in a a righteous and legal way, so that no one can come and say, hey, you stole that thing. This is the, the hypocrite is always acting in a way that they're abusing and afflicting you, but that they can always deny it. You, this is this, what what came up as the word of the year last year was gaslighting. This is that kind of thing where you always are acting in such a way that you can deny that you've done any wrong. And it's intolerable to have those people around. Jacob therefore simply accepts the proposition and hurries to make a treaty. Fine. You wanted a treaty? That's great. Let's make a treaty. Can't wait. He, you're going to accuse me? In fact, remember how Laban says, we need a treaty so I can protect myself from you. We got to sign a contract because I'm sure that you're going to try to get more, even more from me. Whereas it's the exact opposite. So that the even the fact that, that Laban wants to, to have a treaty is abusive of Jacob. Jacob says, fine, I'll be abused, whatever. You're going to drag my name through the mud? Just Let's get this over with. (laughs) He sets up a stone with his own hands as a pillar and memorial of the treaty, thinking as follows, oh, that I might be removed from this worthless scoundrel. Indeed, he encourages his brethren to heap up stones. Get this done. We should do the same. We should flee association with hypocrites by whatever way this can be done. There's nothing good that's gonna come from it. Okay, so verse 46. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. They took stones and made a heap and they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jager Sa- uh, Saharutha, Jacob called it Gilead. In the manner of scripture, <clears throat> excuse me, Jacob called the shepherds and his relatives who were descended from Nahor, brethren. They could have been satisfied with making uh, with the making of the treaty, but holy Laban, <laughs> this is again, don't, we can't miss the sarcasm it's it's a there's a danger actually in reading this is always a danger when you move from voice to to words uh, <laughs> that you miss the subtleties here we don't want to miss the subtlety. this is very sarcastic from luther someone this happened yesterday someone said um uh fine? do you have, fi- do you have t- uh, time for a phone call and i i texted back and i said sure and they said was that a sure and i said no it was a sure <laughs> but you just, you, you see, you miss it. So we don't want to miss it. Holy Laban. You, uh, he's not satisfied with the making. Holy Laban wants to give it greater strength. He's not satisfied to have set up a stone as a memorial to treaty, but he is the first to give the name to the pillar in the Syriac or the Chaldean language for the sole purpose of binding the conscience of his son-in-law. He wants to say this. Behold, we've made a treaty. We've heaped up stones. We have made a heap and given a name to the heap. It'll be your duty, your duty, to remember this treaty. Ooh. Behold, this wonderful religious scruples about keeping this treaty. When above, he changed the contract for his wages three or ten times. In other words, he he's only interested in the he's only interested in the uh, in the keeping of the law when it benefits himself. Something similar happened to me. This week, I wonder. Oh, I probably can't tell you details about this. Uh, uh, it's a, it's one of these things where you know you live by the bylaws, you buy, you die by the bylaws. <laughs> so someone was talking about the synodical bylaws, and uh, said, "Now this is a dangerous game because you know we're all guilty just depending on how you do it. But you pick and choose the ones you want. Oh boy, now that's trouble, indeed. If he had not been rebuked by God." He would not have made any treaty, but would have dragged Jacob back into his former captivity. Remember that God came to Laban in a dream and said, Jacob is mine, don't touch him. And here Luther says, the only reason he's making a treaty is because that dream scared him off from his original plans. Uh, Gaul, Hebrew here, Gaul signifies a heap, Eth, uh, a witness. Jacob has regard to the Eighth Commandment about not speaking false witness. The Syriac word has the same meaning as the Hebrew word, a mound heap up of stones, a hillock of stones or earth. By the way, uh, if some of you are joining us and so not Lutheran and you're like, wait a minute, Eighth Commandment, that sounds like the Seventh Commandment, you shall not bear false witness. Remember that there's different numberings of the commandments. There's the reformed slash eastern orthodox numbering there's the jewish numbering there's the lutheran numbering there's the catholic numbering so four different numberings of the commandments the eighth commandment has to do with not bearing false witness in in our catechism so uh, so that's there the history of that is how it got to be different is is very interesting but anyway just to keep that in mind i always have to you know especially because the fifth commandment, you shall not murder. Sixth commandment, you shall not commit adultery. In the reformed numbering, that'd be the and in the reformed slash Eastern Orthodox numbering, that's the fourth and the and the fifth. And so, someone says, "Oh, that was a fifth commandment thing," and they're talking about adultery, not murder. You got so anyway. Just keep that in mind. Yeah. Uh, it's not in vain. Luther continues. It is not in vain that he calls it a mound of testimony for he wants to say, be mindful of the mound that has been raised up. Let it be a perpetual reminder for you in your ears and heart, not to forget this peacemaking. For if you violate it, it will stand against you as a most solemn testimony in heaven and on earth. On my account, it would not have been necessary to heap up this mound of stones. I'm a righteous man. This is Jacob speaking, remember, but danger threatens us from you. Thus he pretends to be concerned about nothing. But oh, oh, sorry. So wait, 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 wait. Is this is this is Luther putting words in the mouth of Laban or hypocritical words in Laban's mouth or righteous words in Jacob's mouth? Thus he pretends to be concerned about nothing. This is Laban. So this is this is Luther saying this is why this is Laban's hypocritical motivation. Sorry, let me read it again. With that, Laban says, "Hey." This is Laban to Jacob. Hey, you be mindful of the mound that's been raised up. Let it be a perpetual reminder for you in your ears and heart not to forget this peacemaking. If you violate it, it will stand against you as the most solemn testimony in heaven and on earth. On my account, it would not have been necessary to heap up this mound of stones. I'm a righteous man, but danger threatens us from you. So Laban pretends to be concerned about nothing but religion and righteousness, and secretly he brands Jacob with suspicion and the stigma of treachery. It's an amazing thing uh, uh it's an amazing thing to see how how you know it's a, it's that I wonder if I should tell you this story I probably shouldn't all right, I'll tell you. You guys talked me into it. I remember one time when I was in high school, my best friend Bill was there with me, and we were at Walmart. I I don't know buying probably tape for some prank or something stupid. And as we were checking out, I noticed that the the girl who was working the cashier uh, caught Bill's eye, and he started acting kind of flirty like this. And so I leaned over and said, "Hey, how's that rash doing?" <laughs> which was a really, really terrible thing to do to the poor guy. And he just deflated it. He didn't have a rash. I'm just, you don't, you're you you you're able to accuse someone of something without accusing them of something. That's the, you know, that's the, that's the way this goes. What, I didn't, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know. This is the way that, this, this is what Laban is doing here. This is the whole trick of what Laban is doing. He says, hey, we need to build a pillar here so that you don't cross it and do me damage. Well, he wasn't going to do any damage to begin with. Anyway, sorry. These things cannot be read without great amount of righteous indignation, and yet it is not sufficient to have imposed the name once. No, he repeats the same thing more often. Laban says, verse 48, this heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore, it was named Gilead. He proceeds to lay emphasis on the memorial and carefully attend to everything. He designates not only the place, but also the time. And later, he will also note the persons. He's a very good notary. (laughs) He knows how to secure the instrument. Moses, however, added the clause. Therefore, it was named uh, Gilead, for it is a very celebrated name in Holy Scripture. In Jeremiah and elsewhere, it is even transferred metaphorically to Jerusalem, which is called a mound of witness, because it is a holy city and a city of God in which the worship and the word of and oracles of God sounded forth. Now, that's an amazing thing. So, so that Gilead becomes a very famous idea and a, a, a heap of witness so that Jeremiah will even see Jerusalem, the city built on the mountains and said, there's Gilead, the, the, the heap of witness. Now, it's not rocks piled up. It's houses piled up. It's the temple piled up on the mountain there. So Moses is adding this little thing. Hey, this is Gilead. That's what we're talking about. Uh, In which the worship and the word and oracles of God sounded forth. And it's good for us to remember that Jerusalem, which becomes the holy city under the reign of King David, also becomes simply a picture of the church. So whenever we see Gilead, we see, um, sorry, whenever we see Jerusalem, especially in the Psalms, we're thinking, here is the place where God dwells and blesses. The place where I cause my name to be remembered, there I will come to you, and there I will, uh, and there I will bless you. Just checking the chat here. We have the Ten Commandment question. I wonder if this would be interesting. I wonder how fast I can do the differences between the commandments. Let's 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 try. Someone start a someone start a timer. And I'm going to try to explain the differences between the numbering of the Ten Commandments. Uh, so let me give myself a little more room here. So the, here's part of the problem of the, well, I don't know if we should say problem of the numbering of the Ten Commandments, but God tells us that there's Ten Commandments, but he doesn't tell us, he doesn't number them in the text. So we just have the, the content from the, um, from the Ten Commandments, from the tablets. I am God who brought you out of Egypt. No other gods. Uh, you shall not use misuse the name of the Lord your God. And here, and and in here, he says, "I'm jealous." So that that comes in uh, as well. Uh, name, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Uh, honor father and mother. You shall not murder. Uh, you shall not commit adultery uh you shall not steal what's going on down here uh you shall not bear false witness so uh this is to tell the truth you shall not covet and and there's two and this is interesting what happens in Exodus it goes like this you shall not covet uh your neighbor's house and then uh and, and then it says you shall not covet your neighbor's wife Manservant workers, uh, uh, animals, etc. In Deuteronomy, it's the other way around. It's you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, then your neighbor's house, etc. So there's two different orders in Exodus and Deuteronomy. So if you just count it up all together, you have one, two, maybe three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. You have thirteen, but we know we have got to fit this into ten. And so, how are we going to do it? And so, there's four different ways of doing it. Let me just pick uh, different colors. So, let's do first the synagogue, the Jewish numbering, um, and it says, uh, "I am God," is number one. Now, nobody else does that. Just the synagogue. I am the God. I uh, the Lord your God. Oh, maybe let me add just for the so we can say okay. uh, no other gods, and then also, hmm, how should I do this? Can I hear? Oops. Let me erase this here. Let me. I'll add jealousy just so we can. We got to make this mix. I'm no other gods, and then also images. Sorry, and then let's add, um, right here is the break. I am, I am jealous. Okay. Now, so back to the synagogue. So, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of, the, out of the land of Egypt. That's number one. You shall have no other gods. You shall not make any images. That's number two. That's put together as number two. God's name is three. Sabbath is four. Father and mother is five. Murder six. Adultery seven. Stealing, eight. Uh, telling the truth, nine. And coveting is all put together as one. Ten, so that's the that's the synagogue number. You notice that they they group together two, they group together the no other images, and also the uh, have no other gods and images, and they group together the covetous ones. Okay, uh, the Catholic numbering. Let's pick a different number of color for the Catholic. So Roman Catholic, um, what they do is they say this is the intro intro they also group these two together here as commandment one someone's timing me i'm trying to do this as fast as I can so then you have two three honor father and mother's four you shall not murder's five you shall not commit adultery six stealing seven uh you shall bear false witness eight and then they go with the deuteronomy numbering here so they say you shall not covet your neighbor's wife is nine and then you shall not cover your neighbor's house is ten And so they this is the deuteroo not ordering of things okay so they split these two up to get to ten and do it that way. The Lutheran way of doing it let's do a what color Lutheran can we do red okay. It's very close to the Catholic numbering. We also put these together as one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, but we just follow the Exodus numbering and we say you have nine and ten and the, and and the the difference really between the two is that um the 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 Catholic Church understands the the ninth commandment to be. A amplification of the sixth commandment, "You shall not commit adultery," and the tenth commandment, "Shall not covet," to be an amplification of the seventh commandment, so that it takes the sixth commandment and applies it to the heart, the seventh commandment and applies it to the heart. That's pretty. That's nice, actually. That's and that's a good way to think about it, especially from Deuteronomy. We understand that um, that ninth commandment has to do with those um, with that show of righteousness that we were talking about that you just do things to appear right, and that the 10th commandment has to do with enticement. In other words, all the things that are listed here are the things of your neighbors that have legs, so I can entice them to come over to me. That's that's the idea. So, So that's the Lutheran numbering. Now let's get a different picture for the Reformed way of numbering, and this is they say well i am the lord your god that's also the that's the intro they so they don't count that as a commandment then they're going to split up one and two so this is not only the reformed but this is also like the eastern orthodox so they're going to they're going to split up one and two so you shall have no other gods and you shall not make images uh you shall any image of the lord your god so that's going to be their way to go so then they're going to whoops uh, they're going to say three for uh, not misuse the Lord's name, four for the Sabbath, five for honor your father and mother, six is you shall not murder, seven is you shall not commit adultery, eight is you shall not steal, nine shall not bear false witness, and then they're going to lump together uh, the covet commandments as uh, ten, you shall not covet. So that all of uh, all of these are are looped together now the accusation that the reformed make they get so okay, so which numbering is right? The answer is we don't know we don't this is not a this is not a divinely appoint the Lord has not told us how to number the commandments, and in fact, when the Lord um gives two different orderings of things at the end he's indicating that the, the way you number this, it doesn't really matter. You just better have all of it. The accusation that you shall not make images was ignored by everybody else. That's the accusation that the Reformed and the Orthodox sort of make, although the Reformed and the Orthodox also are arguing because they, you never have seen as many pictures in, in your life as you've been to an Orthodox church. But they say, well, it means no statues. So you go to Rome and there's statues everywhere. There's crucifixes and 3D statues. You go to the East and it's all about the the flat image, the icon. Uh, but they participated also in the iconoclastic controversy. It's the Reformed who have that iconoclastic tradition, which says that um, uh, that you can't do. Uh, any images at all, and that that's all idolatry. Well, we say, look, the the command to not commit idolatry, to worship an image, is part of the first commandment. And we see this jealousy that splits the commandments there as an indication that what's going on here is the, should be considered together as the first commandment, okay? So there's there's the four different ways to do it. Each one of them has something to commend it, each one of them has a problem. Uh, to it but the accusation that that the that the catholics renumbered the commandments in order to avoid the command for images doesn't hold up in a number of ways number 1 well what about the synagogue they did the same thing they also lumped those together and what about the orthodox they number it the same as you do and they have tons of images so um so anyway Does the Lord say you shall not make a graven image? Yeah, he says it. Now, the the point, the the Lutheran kind of response to that iconoclastic controversy that there shouldn't be any any images at all, say, well, this is especially true until God makes Himself into an image in Christ. And now, there's a way that the incarnation means that we are that we that we have pictures of Jesus, and we don't have you know pictures. We have but God has pictured himself in the man Jesus. Okay. So there's the there's the different numbering of the commandments. I see uh you can there's I've done a couple videos on this thing too. You can find that hanging around. Hopefully that's that's helpful. Okay. Uh back to Luther. Um oh boy, people coming into the class here. Let me let everybody in. Okay. Um Gilead. Okay. Hopefully that's helpful. Uh, did someone time it? How long? Nine minutes and 21 seconds. Ah, we got to get that down. I need like a, it's like, a, it should be like a pit stop. Vroom, chung, chung, vroom. Off you go. Uh, da, da, Gilead. When Laban had not yet, was not content with this repetition, he could not sufficiently fortify the treaty, which had been made. This is, is usual with hypocrites and heretics. There's only empty talk in them. This is clear in the case of the sacramentarians who abound in their supply of words and cannot sufficiently magnify and extol what is their own, but they disparage and rough up what is ours. The sacramentarians, remember, ironically, the sacramentarians are those who were against the sacrament. They were those who were arguing in the Reformation that, the body and blood was not present in the Lord's Supper, but rather it was a memorial meal. And ironically, it's those who deny the sacraments that are called the sacramentarians, just like those who like deny infant baptism get, are called the Baptists. It's, it's an interesting phenomenon, etc. cetera. Uh, so Laban adds, and the pillar Mizpah, the pillar is Mizpah, for he said, the Lord watched between you and me when we are absent from one another. Now you know. Normally, we read this and we're like, "Oh, that's nice." It's a prayer that the Lord will will bless you, that the Lord will look out for you, that um. Uh, that the Lord will, uh, you know, kind of keep. It. I, I I think I've even seen this like on wedding things, like Mizpah. The Lord, what when we're gone or something like this. Um, that's not what Laban has in mind. The Lord protect me from you. You're a threat to me, even though he's no threat, even though everything Laban has is because of Jacob's hard work and diligence. He still sees him as a threat. Oh, what a, a dirty conscience will do to a person's outlook. This is also a celebrated place in scripture. Later, it became the proper name for a city not far from Gilead as from Joshua. Let's see what that said. Oh, yeah, there. As a common noun, however, it signifies a lookout, a watchtower, from where we look out for the coming of the enemy, fires or other happenings, etc. Therefore, the mound of witness is not sufficient, thinks Laban. But because he dared to depart from me once and carry off my daughters, he'll perhaps return sometime later and take my life. Hence, there will will be need of a watchtower. He even adduces the name and presence of God, the Lord watch between me and you. He says, not only do I receive the mound on the earth and among men as a testimony, but I also make an appeal to the sight of Almighty God that he may be a witness and observer. Oh, what religion, sanctity, steadfastness, and truth in the worship and invocation of God. Again, turn up the sarcasm meter here. Should we? I wonder if there's a way to highlight there's like to indicate the, uh, that there's sarcasm happening. All caps. No, that doesn't do it. That looks like Luther's yelling. Uh oh, now I've messed it up. I've changed Luther's works. Uh, in this way, such people dare to boast of God and godliness. They don't repent, but are most stubborn and obstinate in their sins. For Laban is your impenitent and secure hypocrite, over and against the saintly and excellent man Jacob, and he overwhelms him with testimonies heavenly and earthly, by which he wants to burden his conscience. Have you noticed this, this phenomenon, that when you you are a Christian, you're you are baptized, you're speaking of Christ, you you trust in the Lord and his word. And you could be talking to someone who's never been to church for the last 10 years who has, there's no evidence that they even believe in God at all. And they will come to you and rebuke you with the scriptures. (laughs) Like I, I remember someone, I was talking to someone, and they, they're agnostic by their own standard. And the conversation was about immigration. And they said, well, Jesus was an immigrant. <laughs> and, I, and I wanted to say, well, what? Okay, first of all, that's a, kind of an absurd argument, absolutely ridiculous and has nothing to do with what we're talking about. But why do you care? Like there's a lot of other things that the Bible says that you obviously have no thought of at all, and yet now you want to out-religious me? You want to out-Bible me? Jessica says this is a negotiation tactic that can be learned. Make a person feel like they're violating their own moral code. (laughs) So so Laban is heaping up these. He mentions the Lord's name. He's like, what is that name of of the God of Jacob again. He always wanted me to believe in him. Let me bring that into bear here so I can accuse him and make him feel terrible. Oh man, it's amazing. What should Jacob say or do? Laban's exceedingly holy, dares to invoke God as a witness and observer. When we're absent, he says, that is when you have returned to your fatherland and I've returned home and you plot something without my knowledge and when I shall not be able to foresee your stratagems, then I shall leave this mound as a protection and fortification between you and me. Me and you. And then, too, as a watchtower between us and God. So he calls both God and men to witness. These are assuredly strong enough reminders of the treaty. Who now denies that Laban is a saintly man when he invokes God with such great confidence and relies on God's help and protection? But he does this, he does this only to terrify and burden Jacob. By all things holy, he puts him under oath, whom he had previously found to be very good and faithful. <laughs> In this way, hypocrisy extols itself and despises and dishonors all others in comparison with itself. This is, a, you see the, you see what's going on. Then too, all hypocrites are liars, so he does not yet stop, but adds up another protest. Uh, Pastor Sauer says maybe we could do Comic Sands. I don't know how to. Uh, let's find that, sir. Let's see if we can make it happen. I wonder, hmm, there's a, I don't think I, I don't know if I can change the font. Orange wavy underline? Huh. That'd be interesting. Okay, enough goofing off. Uh, here's verse 50. If you ill-treat my daughters, if you take wives besides my daughters, although no man is with us, remember, God is witness between you and me. Can you believe Laban? Oh, he's like, he he gave Jacob the wrong daughter. (laughs) And then the other one, now he's all holy. Oh, my goodness. Behold a poet who's most ingenious, and he's, and, what what is the threat here? J- Jacob is now 102 years old or something. He's never shown any indication of, of anyone of being interested in anybody else. And now he's going to go and he's going to start making stuff up. Don't you do this. Don't you do that. How's that rash? See? Behold a poet who's most ingenious in the invention of cases. Do not ill-treat my daughters, he says. This is only, he, Laban has been mistreating them for, tw- for their whole lives. Laban has been mistreating them. This is only a pretext in the emptiest of fictions. But the case which he adduces above is nearer the truth, namely that neither Jacob himself nor his relatives should harm him again he burdens the excellent man and in a veiled manner accuses him of adultery as though he had previously regarded him suspect of adultery and is now compelled to fear his desertion or departure from his daughters alas what should the saintly man have done who loved his wives and children so much that he had served 14 years for both women and endured a heavy servitude so long there's no one there's there's no one who's the picture of a more faithful hard working Uh, uh, man than Jacob for his family, for his wives, for his children, for Laban. Now don't you go cheating. uh, Come on. He'd also married the one who he did not love, whom he did not seek as his wife, would perform many services for his father-in-law beyond the usual services of son-in-law and a servant who would accuse this man or hold him suspect of treating his wives with too little kindness. But Laban makes a boast of paternal affection and storgay. That's the the word for of family love, family affection, natural. Yeah, no, there it is. Natural affection. Ah, what will become of my daughters when they're carried away so far from my sight? See to it that you remember this treaty. Don't offend them in word or deed. Thus he oppresses Jacob with poisonous slander, and yet he pretends and lies in every respect. Nor do you hear any word by which he testifies that he acknowledges a sin or wants to render satisfaction to his son-in-law and grandchildren for wrongs inflicted. He pretends that he is moved by paternal concern and solicitude regarding his daughters. He shows himself in no way milder or more generous than he was previously. He doesn't give them anything. Remember last week Luther's talking about how, if he had any real indication of love, he would have given them some token. Here, take this with you, or here is this, and no, nothing, nothing. He also adds, no man is with us. That is, we two stand alone near the top of the heap. near the heap." Concerning this, a question can be asked whether they conversed alone. Uh, it's not 100% clear. Well, Luther's going to say that. Were the witnesses removed or was it in the sight of all the relatives who were present but with strangers excluded? Luther says it can be understood in both ways. Although the meaning more acceptable to me is that he excluded foreigners and strangers. Although we are alone, he says, the men whom you fear are not present. Nevertheless, God is present as an observer, and he sees and is a witness between you and me. Everything tends to burden an innocent man, if not with infamy and the mark of manifest disgrace, at least with suspicion and ill will. You see how now all these questions about Jacob and his character and his honesty and his integrity, all these questions are put in there like seeds that are going to start to grow. And this is the the work of the hypocrite to put those questions in there. It's a demonic work. Such are the characters of hypocrites. From the one criminal person, learn to know all of them as we read in the poet. That poet is Virgil. Um, So, uh, this is Luther's quoted a lot of classics, by the way. This week, last week, he had a couple. Um, I was looking those up this week too. Those references to the Furies and things like this, so the grabbing a hold of that wisdom as well. So, from one we know them all. From one hypocrite we learn them all. And Laban here becomes that type of that hypocrite. Okay, which takes us to verse fifty-one. Now I think it's nine forty-five, and I set. Did you hear the alarm? I set the alarm so that we can. Uh, uh, we can have more time to just chat and check in. So I think I'll call it quits there. Let me mark that and um, and then say a prayer and then we'll uh, shut down the recording and, and kind of ask anything, chat about this and whatever else is on your mind. So, uh, so let's pray. Oh Lord, we ask your protection from the hypocrites and their hypocrisy and uh, their slander. We pray that you would uh, preserve us in the truth of your word, giving us also forgiveness and peace and wisdom uh, to navigate the difficulties of this world according to your word. Uh, We thank you for uh, the insight and instruction we gain from your scripture. And we pray that you would grant us the same courage, comfort, peace uh, through your word and spirit. For we ask all these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.